got to do his job. In the end, um, I think what the American people have learned over especially the last year or so um, is that you know, competence really matters in the Oval Office in terms of managing things, and, and, and he's going to have to deal now with the challenge of COVID. I hear all the other things that Ron mentioned, and I don't disagree necessarily, but the number one issue is COVID. Until the COVID vaccine gets broadly distributed, until life gets back to some measure of normalcy, it will be what dominates uh, Joe Biden's job. Because until that happens, you can't really bring back the economy to where it needs to be. You can't really deal with a lot of those underlying issues effectively until you get people feeling it once again as if they're safe. Uh, that's Chris Christie talking about Joe Biden's agenda in his first 100 days and everything like that, and he's putting the emphasis on COVID, which could be true. Um, man, where I live, the weather was spectacular, and it was amazing the number of people out and about doing things. I wonder if that's what spring and summer is going to look like around the country. I hope so. If we have the COVID under control and the weather is good, you know, and everything, I, and people have been cooped up for so long, I mean, it was just, I'd never seen anything like it in my life anywhere. Mm. Unless it was like you're at a 4th a, a of July in some big city or something like that. And it was just, it was people everywhere. Eating, drinking, biking, roller skating, skateboarding, shooting hoops, walking their dogs, jogging. It was just Amazing. No, it's a beautiful dream. The COVID is definitely not under control at this point, but well, clearly with the uh, the response of people on a, the first nice day, uh, I think people just had it with you know whatever you can, right. can tell me to stay home, whatever. Well, and as long as you're outdoors, you're probably going to be fine anyway. Um, so on his first day in office, Joe Biden, and then he pauses to point out executive orders represent a failure of Congress. A failure of Congress to, to write laws that have any specificity. A failure of Congress to make clear what the, the policies ought to be. A failure of Congress and, and the executive branch to recognize how this government's supposed to work. Executive orders, they're not, you know, they're fine if they tweak around the edges of policy. That's what they're for, and that's fine. But when you have fundamental shifts in law, that represents a failure of our system. And old Joe Biden? Oh, you know what I was going to run before I talked about well, this? Well, and in recent years, presidents sign executive orders to deal with major issues and don't even really put pressure on their own party to try to come up with the law that will make it permanent. No, it's easier to have dictates hand, handed down from on high than come to agreements and compromises. Play me clip number five, Sean, would you? This is the uh, president-elect here. Even though our inauguration traditions look a little different this year, and, and we still, we're all still together, though. United. United across all of America. All right. He's a mumbler. It's inspiring. Yeah. Uh, on his first day in office alone, Mr. Biden intends a flurry of exec- executive orders. These include rescinding the travel ban on several predominantly Muslim countries. That's some good biased journalism by the New York Times there. It was a ban on countries, including North Korea and Venezuela, that do a terrible job of vetting who they're letting come to the United States. Uh, Rejoining the Paris Climate Change Accord. Oh, goody. Extending pandemic-related limits on evictions and student loan payments. Issuing a mask mandate for federal property and interstate travel. And ordering agencies to figure out how to reunite children separated from families after crossing the border. What's a mask mandate for interstate travel? If I'm driving on the interstate, I have to have a mask on, or I don't. I just know. put it on when I cross the state line. What does that mean? 
issuing a mask mandate for federal property and interstate travel. I have no idea. Uh, blueprint of executive actions comes after Mr. Biden announced he'll push Congress to pass $1.9 trillion worth of economic stimulus and pandemic relief. He also plans to send sweeping immigration legislation, providing a pathway to citizenship for 11 million people in the country illegally. That is 100% the province of Congress that intentionally does not solve these problems. Along with his promise to vaccinate 100 million Americans in the first 100 days. Okay, I hope, fine, I hope that happens. Great, super, I hope you can. Just do it. Uh, how about fewer promises and more doing? And I'm looking at both parties. Oh, let's see. Where's the rest of this list? Oh, he's doing all sorts of crazy well, so, stuff. So here, we talked about this a little bit on Friday. I thought this was unbelievable. I don't know if this is bias or it is idiocy on the reporting of this. So we talked about Joe Biden. One of the things he's promised is he wants to raise the minimum wage to $15. Right. So I'll give you this headline first. So CBS News says on Friday... Biden minimum wage proposal could lift more than one million workers out of poverty. Luckily, one journalist pointed out, and we talked about this on Friday morning, the same study that CBS was quoting there, the very same study that said raising the minimum wage could lift more than a million workers out of poverty, said it will eliminate between 1.3 and 3.5 million jobs. Putting them into poverty. (laughs) Well, obviously, if you lose your job, it's not a good place to be. Or putting you on the government dole. So is that bias or just stupidity? That's just you only see the things you're interested in. CBS saying the new Biden minimum wage would, would, would raise 1 million people out of poverty. We'll skip the sentence that says it will eliminate the job of one to three and a half million people. Hilarious. Yeah, I know. That it. is hilarious. Ha! <laughs> Yay! We went backwards. One million people lifted out of poverty. Two extra million people who don't have a job. Woo! Depends where you are and when you pull it, but it's always one of those situations where like 30% of the workforce gets a raise, and you just focus on them and, and sing Hosanna to that. But then the other two-thirds of people are out of their jobs completely, and you pretend like that's uh, the, the cruel employers or just the whims of the economy or something like that. It's unbelievable. The, and, and I've seen the polls. The majority of Republicans are for, like, a sky-high minimum wage, right? Last poll I saw. Yeah. It's just there's it's it's sad. It represents the failure of adulthood and logic or something or other. You know, it's pretty interesting. There was an um um another retweet from Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer. Um Amazon raised their minimum wage to $15 an hour. Some of the big companies raising their minimum wage, the really biggest of companies, Amazon leading the way. It's to put political pressure on this idea of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. What they're really doing is they know their competitors can't possibly afford that. Ah, yeah, the little startups, the would-be competitors, yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's like the big, giant corporations vote for more harsh regulations because they have entire offices, they have staffs of compliance officers and attorneys and the rest of it to keep them on the right side of those regs. They know upstarts can't uh, can't possibly conform to complex, difficult to interpret regulations. And then they, the big companies, point out, "Oh, look at uh, uh, Johnny Upstarts, whatever chemical company, they're violating the regs." And they get them shut down. 
It's it's an unholy alliance between big business and government that most people don't even know exists. These executive orders on Wednesday when uh, Biden uh, signs them, you know, on day one, I'm going to do this day one, I'm going to do that. It's going to get a lot of attention in the media. Um, I wish there would be more punditry around what we've just been talking about. This is no way to run a country to have policies swing wildly from this to that on day one based on who's president. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Mm-mm. Our immigration policy is not supposed to be what that president wants it to be, period. It's a terrible way to run a country. Yeah, it really is. Path to legalization or path to citizenship for 11 million. Who wrote that law? The president did. So there are going to be... There are 25,000 troops in Washington, D.C. to protect the inauguration. I keep hearing it's more than Somalia, Afghanistan, Iraq combined. I don't quite understand that comparison, why that's supposed to be meaningful. But it is a lot of troops. There's no doubt about that. 25,000 troops. So nothing's going to happen in Washington, D.C. It would be impossible. No. no. Um, I, I, I was talking about this last week. I was in... Uh, Las Vegas on New Year's Eve right after 2001, and it was so oppressive. It was miserable. Yeah. That and, is D.C. right now. And and we've got to figure out. I, I perfectly get it for the inauguration specifically and all that sort of thing, but we're going to have to figure out how much of the security we want. I remember at the time in Vegas saying, I would easily take 50% greater risk to my life than have this. Mm-hmm. That that time in Las Vegas, you couldn't stand anywhere. Like walking through a hotel to get a drink or anywhere, you couldn't stand anywhere. There'd be some guy with a big gun saying, move along, got to walk, got to walk. And everybody just kept walking and everybody just kept moving around. But wow. there was no place you could go and nothing you could do. Wow. And I'm sure Sounds that's, like a good time. It was awful. We just went back to our room. Yeah. Um, and that's the way it is going to be in Washington, D.C. That's the way it was a lot of state capitals around the country. And we're going to have to figure out some sort of balance to this. Well, time heals all wounds. And I'm hoping calm is restored to some extent. And the, uh, you know, the oppressive police state feel will give way eventually. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm, so, I'm I'm very bad at being Nostradamus. I have no idea. The world's so crazy right now. Joe Stradamus. Joe Stradamus. Yes, that, that's mm, pretty good. Yeah, if only, if only I were any good at predicting. Um, I haven't heard this. Sean says it's good. A mom sharing her no crib policy, and it's exactly the sort of thing you would think it would be. Uh, I will defer to the parents of the world to uh, to let me know if if this makes sense. I remember or not. What, what was the name of that movie? It's something to do with parents when Maya Rudolph. She she went to see her liberal friends in California of all places, and they said, "Oh, we don't we don't do strollers. Why would you want to push your child away from you? You're pushing your child away from you with a stroller." That sounds about right. This woman has this attitude about cribs, and we got other stuff on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't use a crib for my five-month-old. You look at a typical American nursery, you will notice that it's set up for the parents' benefit, not the child's. The artwork is usually up high where babies can't even see it. We literally buy these little baby jail cells so that we can just leave our baby in there and walk away. I don't have a crib because I will never enforce my baby to have a bedtime. Babies are people too, and forcing anyone to sleep when they're not tired is inhumane. Imagine if your partner locked you in a container you couldn't get out of and told you you had to sleep even though you weren't tired. That would be abuse, and 
you'd probably leave them. Kids deserve the right to bodily autonomy just like we do, and that involves sleep. The floor bed allows the baby to sleep when the baby is feeling sleepy and get up and move around when the baby's not. He is like a little baby. Oh, boy. Huh. Oh, boy. Do we know anything about this woman? No, I think it was just a, a mom on TikTok or something like that. You I assume she's in California, Oregon, or Washington State, where logic goes to die? <laughs> You'd have to either stay up all night in shifts or or something, because yes. you can't just let a you know a six-month-old crawl off to wherever they're going to do in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> Right. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant, sweetheart. Anyway. Oh, speaking of which... Uh, you heart- remember I did make the argument at one point, though, when when uh, when Sam first started to get out of the crib or could crawl over it. Why, why can't we put tops on them? Because <laughs> that's a cage. Because th- that's illegal, because you got to get your kid in a cage, and yes. you'd, be, you'd be on the evening news, and you'd be considered a monster. But before they can crawl out of it, it's the same cage. Exactly. It's exactly the same cage. So you're coming around to this mom's point of view. Before... Before, no, I'm pro, but um, <laughs> it's exactly the same cage. It just doesn't have a lid on it because they can't climb out the top. Exactly. So why is it any different when they can climb out the top if you restricted that access exit point also? Exactly. There's you can no keep difference. baby birds in a box. You don't need a cage because they can't go anywhere. At the point they learn to fly, then you put the top on <laughs> and they call you a monster. <laughs> what? So on an oddly similar theme, uh, article in the L.A. Times, a really good one, Make America California Again? Oh, boy. That's Biden's plan. Oh. And there is real evidence. Biden is looking to the great example of the, the innovative, the interesting, the dynamic state of California. Never mind 135,000 people fled California between July 18, or I'm sorry, July 19 and July of 2020. And, and more after that. Never mind that it's crumbling. <laughs> Never mind that those of us who live here realize that's a terrible idea. We'll talk about that coming up. Well, that's something. Yeah, I'd say. Um, did you see old Naval- Navalny head Yo. back to Russia yesterday? Yeah. So he's the opposition leader who's been saying Putin's a crook because he is. And uh, and he and he he documented how all the uh, the the top and the oligarchy are stealing from all the regular Russians and living lives of sultans mm-hmm. because they are, and uh, and Putin's tried to kill him a couple of times, and almost succeeded. I hadn't heard the quote from Putin. Um, you know, most of the world believes Putin tried to poison Navalny back when he almost died uh, last fall. Um, Putin says. If I had wanted him dead, he would be dead. Right. Well, there's a heck of a response. His recent statement is he's not important enough to kill. Well, he sure seemed important when he yeah. landed in Russia yesterday, and they had armed guards all over the place to arrest him immediately. That's well, a heck of a video if you haven't seen it. There are huge crowds ready to welcome him uh, flying back from Germany, so they diverted the plane at the last minute to somewhere where the uh, where the authorities were waiting for him. Uh, Man, that's a patriot who goes well, back to dead. Russia... He would be dead if the Germans hadn't said, you're letting him come to Germany and we treat him or else to Putin. And probably the or else had to do with pipeline deals or whatever. But anyway, yeah, he's a patriot. So there he is with his wife and kids we hadn't seen in, in, in so long. As soon as he gets there, they arrest him. They whisk him away. Who knows where he is? No lawyer. No anything. He'll, he may never be heard from again. What about his one phone call? Yeah, not so much. Oh, yeah, I wonder. I wonder. 
Well, Putin tried to kill him once, and everybody knows it. This gets back to, and we've talked about this a number of times, as long as he says, no, I didn't do it. People act like there's some doubt, even when there isn't any doubt. If he were to come out and say, yeah, I did it, then there would be huge sanctions and uproar around the planet, although there's no difference. (laughs) So if Navalny dies of a heart attack this week, and Putin comes out and says, this just shows you why a low-calorie diet, a low-carb diet is so important, he his heart just gave out on him. People will be like, well, there's really nothing we can do. Just, I don't know. Well, it's MLK Jr.'s birthday. And uh, speaking of threats to the government, the Kennedys and uh, the Johnson administration thought Martin Luther King Jr. was a threat. And that's why they were tapping his phones and a lot of other people around him. And uh, they got sex tapes and everything like that. And there's a new movie out called... MLK FBI that I watched last night that I think is worth talking about both from an MLK standpoint and an FBI standpoint with the stories that we've got going on right now. More information came out on Crossfire Hurricane on Friday and their efforts to spy on the incoming president. FBI, same as it ever was. Um, So more on that in a little bit. It's pretty damned interesting. Plus, another big immigrant caravan has formed up. Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? Oh, they figured, hey. Old Trump's out of the way. Let's get her going. That, and if I was if I was Putin, I'd organize one of those. What a great way to divide America right off the bat with a new administration. Wow, listen to you. That's a good one. Complex theories and, and conspiracies. All on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The FBI was most alarmed about King because of his success. He realized how sick this country was. We were trying to reveal the truth about segregation. J. Edgar Hoover is famous for saying that he feared the rise of a black messiah. The FBI says it's clear Martin Luther King Jr. is the most dangerous Negro in America. And we have to use every resource at our disposal to destroy him. Uh, That's from the new movie MLK FBI that debuted over the weekend, and I'd read several reviews of it, and I thought, you know what, I'll watch it the day before Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday before we go into work, and we're working on this day. Well, my kid's out of school, and a lot of you are off work. Um, Honoring what at this point, I'm not exactly sure, because I'm not sure how many people buy into the MLK dream at this point. You could still honor, even if you had the BLM view of uh, racial superiority that's so strange these days, you might salute him for moving the the cause along the road. Uh, yeah. I mean, in the way that Muslims say, hey, hey thanks, uh, thanks, Jesus, nice job. But then Muhammad came along, and he's perfected everything. Anyway, so I watched the movie last night, and it's fascinating on a number of levels. Um Watching the, 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 the enormous, honest-to-God, peaceful marches. And they had a lot of reason to be really upset. Mm-hmm. You're not allowed to vote. You're not allowed to, uh, to walk into that store. You're not allowed to use that bathroom. But people actually peacefully marching, just walking around, walking along slowly, smiling with signs and everything like that, not smashing out storefronts and... I happen to be rereading. I didn't happen to be. I did it intentionally. Uh, Martin Luther King's uh, letter from a Birmingham jail, which is 
Uh, it's half a book. I mean, it's really long. It's like 30-some pages. Um, but he was also talking about the injustice in the justice system, where you could just be arrested for anything, convicted sure. by an all-white jury, stuck in jail, and you never had anything to do with anything. Nobody would do anything about it. So that's a that's a heck of a cause to be upset about, too. Terrible that that was going on in the United States mm-hmm. as recently as the 60s. And as that person said there, trying to awake the United States to the fact of it, because I think a lot of the country didn't know it was occurring in you know, parts of the South. The South knew, but they were happy about it. Mm-hmm. So there's that angle of the story, and I think we all know that that's tried and true. The FBI part is how uh, J. Edgar Hoover was concerned for a bunch of reasons, including he was, uh, you know, kind of a paranoiac. J. Edgar Hoover, I, I he ran the FBI from the 20s through the 70s. Wow. Almost 50 years. The 20s. Through the 70s. So you got bootleggers and Al Capone and all that, all the way through Nixon. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. And he did so many awful things, and everybody knows he did so many awful things, yet his name is still on the FBI building. It's the J. Edgar Hoover building. I'll never trust the FBI until they decide, how about we put a different name on there? That is a heck of a, you know, we're not in favor of erasing the past or tearing down statues or anything like that, but... It's a pretty extreme example of, of I know. malfeasance. So, I mean, he was he was he trampled the Bill of Rights, and everybody knows absolutely. It. And they quote uh, James Comey on the movie. There's a little clip of him saying it is clearly the darkest period in the FBI history. I think he's you know wanting to obscure spying <clears throat> on an incoming president and falsifying documents to do that. Sure. Um. But so the guy from the darkest period in the FBI's history, his name is on the building that it, that the, the the head guy walks into every day. Right. Well, and I think you have to say to the guy who orchestrated the darkest period in the history. It's not like he was passively along for the ride. So J. Edgar Hoover was initially concerned that Martin Luther King Jr. was a communist, and it was part of a communist plot. Not a crazy idea, and not a uh, uh, nothing to be worried about. Um. And so they latched onto this guy, Stanley Levinson, who was a white guy who was an advisor to King, who actually was a communist, and used that as enough of an extrapolation to start spying on people close to Martin Luther King Jr. They, by accident, found out that Martin Luther King Jr. was cheating on his wife all the time, and then it became all about that. Mm. It became all about, I mean, mean, I'm sure if they'd have found a communist connection that had been fine to run with that. But sure. it became all about trying to discredit him and ruin him through his uh, sex life. And they were uh, bugging phones and um, putting microphones in hotel rooms. They'd figure out what his schedule was, and they'd go to the hotel, and they'd work with the uh, the, the maids and whoever else to get a, a room next to Martin Luther King Jr.'s room and put a bug in the, in the lamp and listen to him have sex with some chick he was meeting there and record it all. And then, and this just came out, what, a couple of years ago, because we talked about it when it broke. It was last year or year before. The fact that the FBI sent tape recordings to Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, and a lot of people in the press and ministers all across the country, tapes of him having sex. Wow. Wow. Did this have any significant effect? It didn't. It was a different era, obviously. Plus, Martin Luther King Jr. was on the right side of history. He actually was mm. in trying to end, you know, not allowing black people to vote and have any rights in this in a lot of parts of the country. He was on the right side of history, and I can understand why the press and a lot of ministers would want to keep his sex life on the down low. 
But also, we had the view, you know, the press knew that JFK was screwing around in his wife and didn't say anything. We had a different view of people's sex lives at that time. That's a good point. That was a private thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or it was uh, the sort of thing we shouldn't talk about out loud for whatever reason. Right. Yeah. I remember famously discussing this with Tiger Woods and his uh, sexual peccadilloes and and somebody pointed out that the, the great, beloved Arnold Palmer had a girl at every tour stop. Or more. And so did Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. He had not just a girlfriend. He had girlfriends everywhere and would line up girlfriends everywhere. And this movie, that's a, it's made by Sam Pollard. Um, uh, he's an award-winning director. He's directed a bunch of big movies. I can't think of them right off the top of my head. Sean will look it up right now. Um, but it, it's a really good movie. And I had read the review where um, they said it was very even-handed. And I would certainly say it was. It, it doesn't... You know, it's got some definitely um, uh, good things about the FBI, some bad things about the FBI, some good things about MLK Jr., some bad things about MLK Jr. It certainly wasn't a one-sided affair. Mm -hmm. But um, some of the clips of Martin Luther King Jr., you know, he'd be on the Mike Douglas show or something like that in New York and joking about how, well, you know, it's tough. Uh, It's tough for my wife to travel. Is your wife with you here in New York? Are you enjoying New York? Well, it's tough for my wife to travel. you got four kids, and it's a lot of work. And meanwhile, he's got a girlfriend at the, you know, the Plaza Hotel across the street and all that stuff. Probably watching. Yeah. 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 And he had girlfriends everywhere, and and he he was... um, I don't know if he was a sex addict or this is just the way he relieved stress because he's under a lot of stress or what. But he he was having lots of sex with a lot of different women all over the place mm-hmm. while being the moral leader of a cause and the leader of a church. And and it's 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 an interesting about human being psyche. But anyway, so J. Edgar Hoover decides this is the way I'm going to destroy him. They send a tape to MLK and his wife sent a tape. Of her husband having sex. Oh boy. To her. That's uh, and controversial. She, and she stood by his side, which is its own interesting story. You know, whether it's, you know, different people have different views of marriage, or you just think, you know, my man's a great man. He's, uh, my husband's a great man. He's got great this. He's got great that. He's got great needs. He's got great appetites. He's got great whatever. Some, right. You know, like the way Hillary looks at Bill, I guess. Right. Or I just don't want to uh, cause the headlines right now. Maybe she had something going with the guy next door. We don't know. But the most famous part of it that we've talked about enough, and if you're in MLK, you know this story, but the FBI sent a letter to him suggesting he kill himself. Here's the tapes we have of you having sex. We're going to ruin you. This is all going to come out. You need to kill yourself. They, they said you need to do the right thing. You need to go somewhere and do the right thing. Everybody took that to mean go kill yourself. Wow. Immediately. Wow. How crazy does that sound? The freaking FBI. This is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday today. A federal holiday. The government made it a federal holiday. All federal offices closed and all kinds of different things. The federal government sent a sex tape to the dude. That's not a crime, by the way, to have, you know, to cheat on your wife and have sex with some woman. Then told him to kill himself. Yeah. It's just absolutely amazing. And if you think that sort of thing, well, that was in the back of the 60s. It was black and white. It was a different time. That sort of thing. You're crazy if you don't think that either does happen or certainly could happen today. Well, it did, more or less. They faked up a bunch of information and and lied repeatedly and created a pretext to spy on an incoming presidential uh, administration, ruined a bunch of lives, caused enormous expense and stress to people who have or will be pardoned soon. And just subverted the, the electoral process and planted horrific seeds of doubt in millions and millions of Americans' minds. 
based on almost nothing, based on Carter Page trying to pull chicks by saying, oh, yeah, I'm real connected. I talk to all sorts of important people. Well, as you saw with the the, you know, the the Stanley Levinson, he's a communist. You just need an in, a plausible in, and then mm-hmm. they spy on whoever the hell they want to spy on. Right. And I don't care if you're left, right, or center. That ought to concern you. But the only thing that matters, of course, is are you for and, Trump or against and Trump? And the Steele dossier was the Please. closest thing they could come to the sex tape that they used against MLK. They but know the it was sex a bunch tapes of crap. were real. Yeah. At least they, he was actually sexing up these women. They just need something to threaten him with. Anyway, right. back to MLK. So there's one scene where um, Lyndon Johnson, you know, signs the Civil Rights Act and all that sort of stuff, Voting Rights Act in 65, and you've got MLK there and J. Edgar Hoover there. They don't talk to each other, but they're in the same crowd. They're right behind the president as he's signing this sort of stuff. So you got MLK, who knows the FBI is spying on him. You got J. Edgar Hoover over here, who's trying to ruin him and suggesting he kills himself behind the president as he signs the Great Civil Rights Act and everybody cheers. Wow. That's what's going on in the background. That's crazy. It is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. You think MLK would occasionally just in his hotel room said, Hey, J. Edgar, looking forward to seeing you at the Capitol Tuesday. You know? Go ahead and talk to him directly. Well, I, I understand. I remember when all these things first surfaced, there was one uh, tape that was disturbingly rapey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's, you know, it'd be, it's hard to say what was going on there. Some of the things they said, some of the noises. But, well, the, the other part of it, we mentioned this earlier in the show. These tapes come out in 2027. That's the way, you know, uh, 50 years after 50 years, we release all this information. Mm-hmm. And uh, this stuff is set to come out, and the uh, there's an argument of whether it should come out. It was illegally obtained. They shouldn't have been taping his sex life. Um, uh, is there any reason we should get to hear something that wasn't obtained properly? Boy, I can make an, a lawyerly argument why it should be released, but I don't feel good about it. Can you make a lawyerly argument why it shouldn't be? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, illegally uh, obtained. It's a violation of not only of laws, but of constitutional norms and the rest of it. It's, it's, it's dirty. What do they say in, uh, in, in the law about evidence that's a d- dirty evidence? It just, it, it, uh, taints the whole case. But my, my overarching point is this is what we're always talking about. This is the history of every, um, uh, government in the history of the world. Ever and going forward. Particularly so, law enforcement and intelligence services, so, yes. So they thought this guy was a threat to their power somehow, and they were willing to do anything to ruin him. Mm-hmm. Anything. Absolutely anything, including trying to get him to kill himself. Constitution be damned. A father of four who's just who's trying to get you know voting rights for a, a giant segment of society that's not allowed to vote. But they're still going to try to get him to kill himself. Mm-hmm. Our own government. Right. It's, it's just, it's, it's man... Absolutely incredible. Complete change of tone. The Los Angeles Times positing that Joe Biden wants to make America California again. Yikes. Any but any of you, you writers ever been to California recently? We'll talk about that agenda and the evidence for it and what a terrible idea that is and, and much more. Oh, we've got the the uh, migrant caravan. We got a five million dollar salmon theft. <laughs> You'd think the police dogs could find that, you know, pretty quickly. But anyway, a lot of good stuff to come. Don't go away. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and 
Getty Show. Drain any swamps, but when it comes to graft and corruption and everybody wetting his beak, California, yeah, that's a swamp too. We can't put up a housing unit for the homeless for less than 500 grand or build a rail line connecting the state for less than 200 million dollars a mile, even though in France, with all their socialism, they did it for more like 15 million. California is a blue state that is completely held together by red tape. No wonder people are leaving in droves. Wow. Bill Maher there. Wow. Well, he's a smart guy. Sure. I, I, how can you deny that? Well, you can't deny that. No, and you certainly shouldn't. 135,000 people plus fled California between July 19 and July 20 and more every day. The only reason the state's population isn't plunging is has been immigration. Um, and it's an interesting combination of people f- fleeing. Uh, it's uh, the working class who just can't afford to live in California and um, and high earners who are getting hammered by the ridiculous taxes. But the L.A. Times article by Evan Halper getting a lot of attention. Make Calif- I'm sorry, make America California again. That's Biden's plan. After four years of being relentlessly targeted by a Republican president who worked overtime to bait, punish and marginalize California and everything it represents. The state is suddenly center stage again in Washington's policy arena. California is emerging as the de facto policy think tank of the Biden-Harris administration and of a Congress soon to be under Democratic control. That's rekindling past cliches about the state. Incubator of innovation. Premier laboratory of democracy. Land of big ideas. Even as California struggles with surging COVID-19 infections, a safety net frayed by the pandemic's toll, crushing housing costs, wildfires, and an exodus of residents. And uh, they mentioned Kamala Harris, who anybody you talk to who worked with her says, oh, boy, no, 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 no. Come on now. I heard uh, all all sorts of claptrap over the weekend, but she's making history as the first black vice president, the first uh, Jamaican, the first Southeast Asian, the first woman vice president. It's as if they're fighting against something that doesn't exist. There are very, very few people who give a damn about anything but competence in America, but they seem <laughs> to have to fight about it. Um, so they mention <clears throat> uh, they interviewed, for some reason, former Democrat Governor Gray Davis, who is apparently still alive. <laughs> California's never had a Democrat on a national ticket, much less a ticket that won. Kamala Harris will be in all the meetings and have the last word with the president after they're over. She'll be sharing ideas, innovations, and breakthroughs from California that might help solve problems wow. on a national level. That's hilarious. Innovations like when it's windy, we don't have electricity. Or when it's still, there's no electricity. <laughs> if they can keep it between 10 and 13 miles per hour, the wind, and, and things are humming. Other Californians in Biden's cabinet? Javier Becerra to run the massive HHS. Well, he's got to get approved, and that, that, that might be the one that they fight the hardest to stop. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, who is sane, I will admit. Uh, Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, longtime California resident Alejandro Mayorkas, is the nominee to run the Department of Homeland Security. Nancy Pelosi, of course, is the House Speaker, etc. We're talking about a one-party state, as Bill Maher was pointing out, that that is in many ways crumbling. 
has unfunded pension liabilities that are going to go off like a bomb in five to 15 years. Difficult to say. Can we hear the other Bill Maher clip since it's in the same vein? Yeah, sure. One of the casualties in this attack on the Capitol this month was Ashley Babbitt. She was a Trump-loving small business owner. She had a pool cleaning company right down the road here in San Diego. And maybe, since all politics is local, all she knew was that she lives in a state that seems to care more about her toxic whiteness than her toxic brokenness. And that the state that's run entirely by Democrats? Yeah, they didn't stop anyone from charging her 169% interest on a loan either. It shouldn't be that surprising that America is full of fed up, unhappy people who just want to break shit. God, that's incredible. I got to mm-hmm. go back and watch Bill Maher from Friday night. It was a good one. That's incredible. So he's even, ex- obviously, he's not excusing what happened at the Capitol, but he's excusing why people would be so mad. P- people are more concerned about toxic whiteness in California than the small business owner. Yeah, yeah it will toxic make brokenness. It will make you insane. Yeah, it will. It will It'll make, make you, you angry. Then they quote the great Senate leader Kevin DeLeon of California. California is not just about pushing the envelope. It's about tearing it apart. The state is full of disruptors and malcontents who are impatient and have no problem challenging the status quo. Yeah, that sounds very exciting. Yeah, the status quo, including things that work and replacing them with things that don't work. Very brave, very innovative, Kevin. Oh, my God. Tearing apart the envelope of things that work. Armstrong and Getty.